so we were off last week, but this week we uh, will pick it up again in Romans chapter 4. And the last time we were together, we, we finished uh, chapter 3, the last three verses, uh, verses 29 through 31, and went on into the first few verses of chapter 4. And we got down to about verse 5. And today, uh, Lord willing, I'd like to pick it up with verse 6 and uh, see if we can make it down through verse 12. So, uh, look at those verses that we looked at uh, two weeks ago, 329 through 4, 5, and kind of refresh your mind. What are some of the things that we talked about, as you, if you can recall, a couple Sundays ago? Nobody can recall anything. Here you go. Sorry, you got to come clear to the front. <laughs> what was that? Well, they always went back to Abraham. So they're like, okay, you want to go back there? Let's look at this. Okay. How's that compare to Okay. Good. Good. He picks Abraham because Abraham is the is the archetypical Jew. He's kind of the he's the classic Jew that everybody looks at. Okay, uh, so uh, so it was important that Paul to make his point uh, about justification being the same for Jews and Gentiles. It's necessary that he go back and he talk about Abraham and Abraham's example. What else? Why else was it important that he talk about Abraham? How did the Jews, in addition to viewing him as the father of the Jews, how did they view Abraham? Okay. <laughs> they thought he was a pretty good guy. They thought he had done he had perfectly kept the law even before the law was ever given, which was of course hundreds of years later. And so they had this idea that Abraham was just this really outstanding character and so they viewed him as righteous because of all this good that he had uh, supposedly done, which of course he had been a very good man, but uh, but perhaps not quite as much as they as they thought. What else did we talk about? Well, I wasn't here, but I'm sure you talked about the at the end of thirty one uh, chapter three thirty one, where he talks about where uh, the law is not nullified, but instead is established and Abraham ties into that because he by faith mm-hmm. proved the law yeah. I guess the tying into what you just were talking about the, the misconception might easy, easily be that you would look back and forget that it was by faith mm-hmm. and that he did all these things so therefore I need to do all these things yeah yeah. So, well, you did talk about that right? Uh, yes we did talk about that you're very good um, we talked about the fact that that uh, that the law is fulfilled through faith and not through the keeping of the details of the law, but it's fulfilled through faith. And also, of course, uh, that Christ himself is the fulfillment of the law. So th- through faith in Christ, the law is fulfilled or satisfied. Uh, what else? Into the point at which Abraham 
Okay. Okay. We pick that up then in those first verses of chapter uh, four uh, that that what Abraham discovered, what Abraham learned is that righteousness comes by faith, not by keeping of all these various aspects of the law. Uh, and he points out that if somebody if somebody receives wages for what they've done, it's not a favor, it's what's due to them, right? And, and his point is that if we... Re, that... that bec- because salvation is a favor, because salvation is is a an act of God's grace, it's necessary that it not be something that we earn, but something that's given to us that we do not deserve. And that's the point that he's making in those first verses of chapter 4. Uh, so he says in verse 4, he says, So now the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due... But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And we encounter that word credit there. And, and the word comes up repeatedly in the verses that we looked at two weeks ago there in those first five verses. And it comes up again repeatedly in all the verses or almost all the verses that we look at, look at today. So this idea of righteousness being credited to our account rather than being earned is the theme of these verses. It's the point that Paul's trying to get across. Okay, We'll talk more about that today as we go on. So, uh, anything else that comes to mind that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Okay, so he's been arguing then that righteousness is credited to Abraham on the basis of faith. And that we see that this happened in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 6 when God gave the promise and Abraham believed God's promise and it says God reckoned it to him or credited it to him that is his faith, credited his faith as righteousness. Okay, now we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 6. And Paul makes a shift here. What he's been doing... Uh, or what he what he does here in in verse six is he brings up the subject of David and something that David says in the Psalms and he employs a a principle or a method of interpretation here that was very common with the rabbis uh, and uh, it's a it's a principle or or a technique of interpretation called Gerza Shawa I believe that's how it said Gerza Shawa and it and it means simply equal category. And so what the rabbis would do in order to understand a given passage in Scripture is they would look at another passage in Scripture that employs the same terminology and from that passage they would gather some understanding of the, of the initial passage they were trying to understand. So if you have passage A over here and you're trying to understand it, and it has certain terminology in it, they would, the rabbis would employ this principle of looking at other passages in the Old Testament that use that same terminology, and then, they would, and, and then they would try and see how this verse over here explained or illuminated uh, a verse A or passage A. And so that's the principle that Paul is employing here as he, as he tries to explain what, 
God is saying there in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when it says that Abraham's faith was reckoned as righteousness, he, he explains that or he illuminates that by going over to Psalms and looking at this passage in Psalm 32, verses 2 and 3, where David writes about forgiveness. So let's pick it up in verse 6 and read down through verse 12. And these are the verses that we'll try to look at today. So, so Paul, having made his argument about, about righteousness being credited to uh, Abraham on the basis of his faith, then says in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are, and then, then he quotes from the psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And that, that word there, take into account, is that same word credit in the Greek. It's the same word credit that Paul has been using in the earlier verses. So you could read it this way. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not Take into credit or does not credit against him. Okay? Then the question comes up, and Paul asks this question Is this blessing, this blessing of forgiveness, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? Is it on the Jews or is it on the Gentiles also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised? or uncircumcised, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay, well, kind of a seems like a complicated passage, but we'll try to unwrap it here and understand what he's saying. So, so Paul now is wanting to explain more of this idea of, of righteousness credited to Abraham. And to do so, as I said, he goes over to this passage in Psalm where David talks about the blessing uh, that is on the man. And the way Paul puts it there, notice in the way Paul puts it in verse 6, is he says, the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So it's the idea of this righteousness was being credited to someone and 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 he says David writes about this same thing now if we could use an analogy uh, it's kind of a perhaps a little bit of a crass or or a, a superficial analogy but it's the best one I could think of so you'll have to deal with it uh, but if you think of you know you you're you're sitting at home you get up in the morning you're sitting at home and it's time to pay the bills and you're sweating it because you don't have any money in the bank Right. OK. Now, we're all familiar with that experience. You know, you don't have any money in the bank and and then you get a call on the phone and you look and it's your banker. He's calling you. OK, so you go, OK, this can't be good. And so you pick up the phone and your banker says, is this so and so? And you say, yeah, yeah, my name is Mrs. So and so, Mr. So and so. And he says, well, I have good news for you. He says, we have credited your account with a million dollars. 
know. Well, at that point, point you go, why? And they just say, well, because we love you. And so we just, you know. Did you ever get a call like that from your banker? I haven't either, okay? But I have gotten one from God like that. I never got a call from my banker, but just using the illustration, so the bank, we'll work on this illustration today because it's pretty weak, so we'll have to develop it a little bit. But, so your banker calls you and he tells you that he has credited your account with a million dollars. Well, boy, you start to breathe a little easier, right? Okay. Now, Paul says, David writes about this same thing. David writes about this idea of God crediting Abraham's faith as righteousness. That God looked at Abraham's faith and said, I'm going to consider that to be righteousness. He reckoned it as righteousness. It wasn't righteousness. Faith, as we saw, is a non-meritorious work. It's just casting ourselves helpless upon God. So it's non-meritorious, but God looks at it and He just says, I'm going to consider that to be righteousness. And so, Paul says, now let's look at what David says about this. So he looks at the passage in Psalm 32, and we have the quote here in Romans chapter 4. And David said, Blessed are those who lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And what is interesting is that is that Paul has been talking about something that has been credited to Abraham. But now David is talking about something that has not been credited to him. Right? So they're really different. But they're the same thing. They both have to do with this idea of faith being credited as righteousness. So with Abraham, his faith was reckoned as righteousness, but with with, uh, David, there was something that was not credited to him. And what was that? His sin. Okay? So with David... And and you'll notice that Paul equates them. He makes them them like they're synonymous. Because he says in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then to illustrate his point, he cites David, but what David is really talking about is not something that's been credited to him, but something that has not been credited to him. And that is his sin. So to go back to our illustration, the banker has more to say to you. It's not just that he's credited your account with a million dollars, but you have a problem. You got a little carried away and you really wanted that Lamborghini. All right? Okay? And you really wanted that, you know, that nice house out there on the, you know, on the oceanfront house and stuff. And so you just kind of I don't know what possessed you, but you just started writing checks and you didn't have the money in the bank. And so you wrote all these checks and so now the bank has this record of overdrawn checks you've written that are worth like a million and a half bucks. So the banker calls you and he says, now we've credited your bank account with a million dollars and that's good news. But that still leaves you in a predicament, doesn't it? So the banker goes on and he says, and because we like you, we are not going to credit your account with all those overdrawn checks. 
What bank was there? <laughs> well, like I say, I've never gotten this call from a banker. But praise God, I have gotten this call from God. And so, what David is so thankful for, and he uses the word blessed, he says, blessed is me. What does the word mean? What does the word blessed mean? We talk, use it all the time. What does it mean to be blessed? Happy. Yeah, that's the idea. Happy is the man. Happy is the man whose lawless deeds have been covered and whose sins have been forgiven. Happy is the man whose sins the Lord does not take into account. Are you happy this morning? Happy is the man whose sins the Lord does not take into account. Now, I can tell you, uh, I'm not quite in that predicament, but if I got that kind of a call from a banker, I'd have a good day, right? That's the kind of day we all ought to be having if we put our faith in Christ. Because something far greater than that call from the banker has been provided for all who trust Christ. So, so this idea of righteousness being credited to us is kind of has two dimensions to it. So with Abraham, we had all of his good works that Abraham did, that the Jews thought about. Okay, Abraham did all these good things. Now, We've studied Abraham a few years ago, right? About three years ago in Genesis. And, and, and you know, we know he made some, some pretty big blunders. But, but overall, he was a pretty great guy. And as I studied the life of Abraham, I was, I was challenged. I was exhorted. I thought, well, I ought to live like Abraham. Okay. So he's a really good guy. But you know what? All those good works that Abraham did, they didn't really help him be righteous. But that's only the first part of the story. The second part of the story is David. And now David was a pretty good guy too, but David did some really bad stuff. Adultery, murder, counting the tribes of Israel. Some things that really, really, really were sinful things that he did. And David said, Happy is the man who sins the Lord does not charge against him. So Abraham's good works did not help him achieve righteousness. And David's sins did not keep him from being righteous. Because both were made righteous by faith in God. Right? Isn't that what, isn't that what Paul's saying? That's the point that Paul is trying to make. Now, now the question comes up, he says... To whom does this blessing apply? Who, who is a blessed person like this? Because what we have is we have Abraham and we have David, right? And they're both Jews. So the question is, is this blessing just for the Jews? Just for the circumcised? Okay. Is, you know, so he, and then he goes back and he reminds us. He says, because he asks us in verse uh, 9, he says, is this blessing on the circumcised? Or on the uncircumcised also, on the Gentiles also. And then he reminds us of Genesis 15:6, For we say that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So, he was using this rabbinic principle of interpretation to illuminate Genesis 15:6 with Psalm 32, 2 and 3. Now he reverses it. And he's going to explain Genesis, uh, uh, Psalm 32, 2 and 3 with Genesis 15, 6. Okay? He's going to go back 
and he's just going to reverse it. So he explains Genesis with Psalms, and now he's going to explain Psalms with Genesis. Okay? And the question comes up, when was Abraham justified? When was Abraham declared or credited with righteousness according to his faith? And when did that happen? When he was circumcised or when he was uncircumcised? When he was uncircumcised, right. In fact, it was 17 years before he was circumcised that God said that he credited him with righteousness because of his faith. So there's a 17 year gap. Actually, the Jews, I don't know how they get this math, but the Jews in Paul's time uh, actually had it calculated to be about 29 years. Now, I don't know how you fit 29 years in the time period between Abraham when he was 75 and left Herod and 100 when he had, uh, when he had uh, uh, Isaac. So I don't know how you fit 29 years in there. But I, so don't ask me how they do the math. But typically, as we calculated, it was about 17 years. So, so Abraham is declared to be righteous and 17 years later, he's circumcised. So, there's a period of 17 years there when, when Abraham is considered by God to be righteous when he is, for all practical purposes, a Gentile. Right? He's an uncircumcised man. Okay? For 17 years. And yet, according to God, he is righteous because he has believed God. Because he has trusted the promise of God. Okay? So... So, Paul's point is that this blessing of being made righteous by faith applies to both the Jew and the Gentile, to both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, because we see with Abraham quite clearly that this happened 17 years before he was, before he was circumcised. Okay? Now, What's fascinating about this is that God had a reason for doing things this way. And Paul explains that reason here in these verses. He says in verse 10, How then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, the righteous, that righteousness might be credited to them. Okay. So, so he says, okay, he, at one point in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and he gives Abraham a promise. And Abraham believed God and it says in verse 6 that God credited that faith to Abraham as righteousness. Then, two chapters later, in chapter 17, and during that two chapters, we have 17-year interval. In chapter 17, God and Abraham are talking again, and this time God is laying out uh, the, the covenant that he's entering into with Abraham, and he institutes circumcision at this point. And it says here in chapter 4 of Romans that Abraham receives circumcision as a sign or a seal. Okay? Now, when he uses the word seal there, 
the idea is not to seal something as in like, you know, we say we we uh, seal a contract. The idea is we we complete a contract or we make a contract. OK, but we also use the word seal in reference to it, like a stamp that we use. Right. That that validates something. So we have here in Oklahoma, we have something called the seal of the great state of Oklahoma. Right. OK. You've all seen the seal of the great state of Oklahoma. Okay. Now, I want to ask you, did that seal make Oklahoma a state? No. no. Okay. Did that seal make Oklahoma a great state? <laughs> it doesn't, does it? The seal is simply representation of the great state of Oklahoma, right? Okay. That's the sense in which Paul is using the word seal here. It is a, it's an affirmation of something that, that is already true. Okay. We have an example of that, of his use of the word in that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is talking to the Corinthians and, and, he, and, and there's some dispute about whether or not he's an apostle, right? So he says, he says, now, to some people, I may not be an apostle. But he said, to you, I am, he says, because you are the seal of my apostleship. What he means by that is, is not that the Corinthians made him an apostle because God made him an apostle, but that the Corinthians are the evidence or the sign that he was an apostle. Okay? Well, that's the same sense that the word is being used here. Paul says that Abraham received circumcision as a seal or as an affirmation of the faith or of the righteousness that was of the faith that he had while uncircumcised. So Abraham received righteousness from God on the basis of faith and he lived 17 years as a righteous man by faith and then God came to him and said, now I want you to be circumcised. And Abraham obeyed God. Why did Abraham obey God? Because he was a righteous man by faith. Yeah. Because he believed God. So, we know, one of the ways we know that Abraham was, in fact, righteous for those 17 years, we know that because when God told him to get circumcised, he got circumcised. And that's the seal. That's the affirmation of this righteousness that he has possessed for 17 years. That's Paul's argument. So he received this sign. Okay. Now, the question comes up then, why did God wait 17 years between when Abraham believed God and he was declared righteous, credited with righteousness, why did God wait 17 years before he told Abraham to be circumcised? I almost said to be baptized. <laughs> okay, so let's bring that subject up. There are some important parallels between circumcision and baptism, right? Okay. There are also some important differences. Okay. 
And uh, if you if you only see the similarities and the parallels and you don't see the differences, you're going to come up with some screwy theology. Okay, so there are some important differences and some important similarities. But but just thinking about baptism, when somebody gets saved, when do they get baptized? After? How soon after? 17 years? We've seen some. <laughs> We've seen some, yeah. But generally, what do we encourage somebody who's just been saved to do? Get baptized as soon as possible. Right? Okay, now, baptism we think of, as Baptists anyway, as baptism, we think of baptism as a sign or a seal of our being buried with Christ and raised to newness of life, right? Romans chapter 6. So that's how we think of baptism. Okay. So it's this sign or seal, if you will, this affirmation of this conversion experience that we've had with Christ. And we encourage people to do it quite quickly. We think that's important. It's a matter of obedience, we say. So why did God wait 17 years with circumcision? If circumcision is the seal or the affirmation of what happened, why did God wait 17 years? Why? Why not there in Genesis chapter 15, as soon as they had, 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 God had given the promise and Abraham had believed the promise and God had credited that to him as righteousness, why didn't God say, okay, now, now I've got something I want you to do that will be, always be a sign of this righteousness that you have received from me by faith. And that's circumcision. So let's, let's go do that now. But he doesn't. He waits. He doesn't wait a week. He doesn't wait a month. He doesn't wait a year. But he waits 17 years. The only answer I can think of probably not the right one, but I'll say it anyway, <laughs> is that he did not want to confuse the act of faith with the seal of circumcision. Yeah. Wanted to make it really, really clear. Well, I got encouraging this for you. That is the right answer. <laughs> well, I looked, actually looked at verse 11, uh-huh. which is, I thought, hmm, maybe it's in the passage that we're saying. Yeah, it might be in the passage. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, there it is. How is how? Where do you see it there in verse eleven? Oh, it could be verse twelve. Actually, I looked up and looked back. Okay, back. okay, okay, okay. Could it also be though for Joseph? Well, wait a minute. He's not off hook yet. I want to prove it. I want to prove his point. But said it was a seal of the righteousness of faith which you had while uncircumcised. So that yes, that he might be the father of all who believe without. Who's that? Us. That's us. Okay, that's us Gentiles. The reason God waited 17 years is so that there would not be any confusion on this point. If it had happened right away, we could get real confused. That's why a lot of times people get confused about baptism. Now, I'm not suggesting that we wait 17 years to get baptized. But, but one of the reasons people get real confused about baptism is because we do it right away. Okay? And so it gets associated with salvation 
in, in ways that it probably shouldn't be. And we begin to think that baptism is how we got saved. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting, as I say, that we wait on baptism. There are strong reasons for doing it immediately. But in the case of Abraham, Abraham is a special case. Because Abraham, as verse 11 says, is going to be the father of all those who believe without being circumcised. And so it is important that we see that there is a significant period of time in Abraham's life. Because eventually he is going to get circumcised. And then he's going to be viewed as the father of the Jews. Right? The, 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 the father according to the flesh, as he says in chapter 4, verse 1. So eventually he's going to be looked at that way. But it's important for your sake as a Gentile and my sake as a Gentile to see that between that point in time when he was declared righteous by faith and the time that he's circumcised, that there are, there's a significant period of time there in which Abraham is righteous by faith. And it's that 17 years that makes him your daddy and my daddy. It's those 17 years that make him your father and my father. Because it's that 17 year period of time in which Abraham is, can we use this term, not a Jew. <laughs> he's a Gentile. Okay. As far as the covenant is concerned and those sorts of things, he's a, he's, he's a Gentile. He's not circumcised. Because circumcision, in addition to being a seal and a sign of the rights of our faith, that we see in Genesis 17, is also a sign of the covenant. Okay, God calls it a sign of the covenant. Okay, so that puts it in very close association with this whole idea of being Jewish. So it was important that God wait 17 years to have Abraham circumcised so that when you and I look back at the story of Abraham, we can go, he's our father too. Now, what makes Abraham our father? How is Abraham your father? Okay, you believe in the same God, but you and I believe in the same God. Does that make me your father? Or you my father? Okay, it's his faith, isn't it? It's his faith. It's that Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness and you and I, as he says in verse 12 with the Jews, he says, you and I have followed in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham. You remember that incident in the Gospels when the, when the Jews are hassling Jesus and, uh, and uh, Jesus, or maybe we could put it the other way around. Jesus was hassling the Jews. I don't know which way it was. But at any rate, they start protesting. But Abraham is our father. And then Jesus responds to them and says, if Abraham is your father, then what? Pardon? Well, okay, but he says it in another way. Do the works of Abraham. Yeah. Do the deeds of Abraham. In other words, what, makes, what really makes Abraham your father is whether or not you follow in his footsteps. 
And when it comes to the issue of righteousness, when it comes to the issue of just blood, you know, we're out of luck. You know, Abraham's not our father. But when it comes to the issue of righteousness, if we achieve righteousness the same way that Abraham achieved it, he becomes our father. So now we discover that Abraham is not only the archetypical Jew, Abraham is the archetypical believer. Right? So we all believers, we look back. Now, Abraham's not the first guy to believe. He's not the first guy to be made righteous by faith. But God has established or set him up as the kind of the archetypical believer. He's the father of all believers. We all follow in his footsteps. We simply trust God. We simply trust God. We come to Him for salvation. And He makes us righteous. Apart, He says, from any works of the law. How do we know it's apart from works of the law? Because David said that this thing about being made righteous by faith also includes this dimension of having our sins not reckoned against us. Okay? So, so, Abraham now is the father not only of the Jews in a physical sense, but he is the father of all who receive righteousness by faith, both the uncircumcised and those who are circumcised who also follow in the steps of the faith of their father Abraham. And so what Paul is doing is he's throwing out this big net on the Roman church there, and he's pulling them all together. So you got all these, you got all these believers in the Roman church, and you got some of them are Jews, and you got some of them are Gentiles, and there's this tension going on between them. And Paul just throws out this big net over them all, and he says, "Listen, you've all got the same father, because you're all following in the steps of Abraham and Abraham's faith." You know, as I think about that this morning, I just think. You know, how often we as Christians bicker and quarrel with one another about all kinds of things. But we all have the same Father. We're all following in the steps of Abraham. We're all being made righteous not because of our righteous deeds and in spite of our sins. We're all being made righteous by faith. And that ought to draw us together. That's what Paul's trying to do here, isn't he? He's trying to draw this Roman church together. And if we would look at our brothers and sisters in Christ instead of nitpicking one another and criticizing one another and, and, and finding all kinds of ways in which we are separate from one another, and I'm not suggesting that those distinctions are not important because I think they are important. I don't want to just sell all my theology down the drain. You know, I think those distinctions are important. But if the primary way in which I looked at other believers is to recognize they have the same father as I do, Abraham is their father because they are following in his footsteps, and Abraham is my father because I am following in his footsteps. And we are all made righteous the same way. Not by, not by how correct our theology is, but by the gift of righteousness attributed or credited to us by faith. Well, so then he goes on and he says, 
Um, he says, He received the sign, sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And, uh, and so I think we see kind of two issues going on here, or two, uh, two lessons, I could say, we could learn from circumcision. And one is that circumcision was a work. It was a work that Abraham did. And that work was a seal or a sign of a righteousness he already had. So as it pertains to works, we learn this from this passage. That works, while they do not effect our salvation, they are a seal of our salvation. They're a sign of our salvation. Okay? And if Abraham had never been circumcised, we would never know if he believed God. If he really believed God. But circumcision was the seal. It was the affirmation. And our works are the seal or the affirmation of the righteousness which we already had when we believed God. Uh, secondly, as it, pertains, uh, as it pertains to baptism, there's a lesson here. Because we learn that circumcision followed faith. God waited 17 years in the case of circumcision. But the circumcision follows faith. Baptism also, in, the, in whatever sense it's parallel or similar to circumcision, the, uh, baptism also follows faith. And like circumcision, baptism is a seal. It's an affirmation of a reality that already exists, which is the righteousness that we have by Christ, from Christ. Uh, there was one other point I was going to make. Uh, but it slips my mind right now and we're out of time. So let's stop here then, uh, which is uh, as far as we plan to make it. And we'll pick it up in verse 13. And uh, and uh, I don't know, you got study sheets there. How far are we going next week? 13 through, uh, what do I say there? Pardon? 17. Through 17, okay. So, uh, so just a few verses, but that's what we'll do next week. Great.